A reading from Exodus chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive because it is neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides, you with you, he, he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the Lord will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On the day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I have said, the, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with, it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. May the hearing of God's word be blessed in our prayer and in our worship and in our lives as we go from here. This sermon is, I think, the last in the series that we have had on the various themes that have emerged here at the church as we've been listening to each other, uh, talking about uh, the various opportunities uh, that uh, are here at our church as we look to the future, as we describe ourselves and think about who we are, who we have been. We have... Uh, looked at these themes as ways of shaping our vision, realizing that we need to address these in whatever vision we have collectively here at Riverside. We've talked about how we worship. We've talked about what we believe, our relationship with the neighborhoods around us, our social engagement and political engagement how we manage and are stewards of our financial resources, our relationship with RPDS, among others. As we look forward to the future, thinking about all of these things and all of the risks and opportunities that they bring and the diversity of opinion that we have heard some of us may be just a little bit terrified or bewildered. Some of us may be tired by now or feel just a little bit ho-hum about it all. 
Some of us might be excited or energized or hopeful. Today's theme, I think, brings all of the preceding ones together. Today we're going to be talking about how we meet the needs of older generations while attracting and discipling younger ones. All of the preceding issues, I think, come to bear in this transgenerational context where we are shifting and moving from one generation to the other in terms of leadership and membership in this church. And all the preceding issues will in some way be addressed, not just by those who lead now, but those who will lead in the future. So I thought maybe it would be good to just look for a minute at the generations we have here. So the oldest generation we would have here, I think, would be called the silent generation. So those are the people that were born between 1925 and 1945. Raise your hand if you're part of the silent generation. There we go. Look around now. This is for us to all look, see who we are. Keep your hand up. Don't say anything because you're the silent ones now, okay? Just be quiet. Okay, so they're the silent generation born by the uh, end of World War II or earlier. All right, then there's the boomer generation. That's the, uh, the generation born between 1945 and 1965. So raise your hand if you're a boomer. Look around, see? See who we are. You are the boomers. <clears throat> boomers, you were once the radicals. Remember this? We were the radicals who, who protested against things and hit the streets and, you know, there were riots and there were hippies and and, uh, you know, big music festivals. Uh, kids, you just got to believe these, look around, these boomers were once radical. Long, long hair. I mean, just, it was tie-dye shirts. It was, oh, it was just amazing. So <clears throat> those are the boomers. Then after the boomers were Generation X. Generation X is those born from 1965 to 1980. So who, raise your hand if you're Generation X. Look around, They're, they tend to be in the back. As you can see, uh, they, they, don't want, they don't want to be up in where any possible leadership could happen. They're just sort of back there. Okay, I got you. That's, that's Generation X. And then after X comes Y, or better known as the Millennials. Millennials are those born between 1980 and 1996. So if you're a Millennial, be a proud Millennial. Raise your hand. We don't have a lot of those people, but we do have a few, okay, a few millennials. We'll talk about them in a minute. And then after the millennials comes Gen Z, Generation Z. So that, that would be those born in 1996 up to around 2013. So raise your hand if you're in that range. Look at that. We have mostly up here in front, a few scattered around, right? So uh, now I know all these numbers are a little arbitrary and there's some overlap and you may decide you're in one thing than, than the other. I'm not going to argue with you about the, the dates, but 
uh, you know, each generation has been characterized and described in different ways. Won't go through all of the research that I've seen, read many books really about the characteristics, especially of the millennials and of Gen Z. Just a few things I'll share with you. Um, you know, the boomers, we were, we were the age of black and white TV, remember? And television with two or three channels. And then we got color TV. We were high tech. Yes, sir. <clears throat> but then uh, Gen X came along, and they were the first generation that had computers in their lives. And then the millennials were the first generation that had the internet that permeated their life. And now Gen Z, they have lived pretty much their entire life, most of them, with iPhones and smartphones, right? I bet a lot of you have them on you right now. Yes, there you go. I see. <clears throat> and uh, so the, uh, the Gen, the Gen Zers, now phones are very important, we know. That's really their preferred method of communication. I bet in a lot of cases, if, if they were sitting there like this and I wasn't watching them so closely, they would be texting each other right now, right? And they wouldn't be talking to each other, even though they could. They, the generation, I'm just saying gener, this is generalities. Now, don't get defensive, okay? I'm not picking on anyone, and I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to describe the differences. So uh, Gen Z really prefers social media and texting to communicate. Uh, which is different than other generations. That's just how they like to do it. It's, it's what's comfortable to them. Another thing about uh, Gen Z is they're very comfortable with diversity because they're the most diverse generation in the history of this country. You know, 20 years ago, you know how many of the, the top 15 last names were Spanish, Hispanic 20 years ago? None. Now six of the top 15 most common last names in America are Hispanic. Think of the cultural shift, and Gen Z is very comfortable with that kind of diversity, and they're comfortable with gender fluidity in a way that no previous generation has been. They uh, also are being raised by the generation that first we came to know as having a lot of nuns. You know, the nuns are those who say, I have no religious preference. The people that are pretty much unengaged in any religion. Not to say they don't have faith or a spiritual life, but no sense of real connection to the institutional church or other religion. And Gen Z, a lot of those kids are being raised in those families, and so they have no experience, no memory of church, no memory of Bible reading, the way these kids are hearing it week to week. A lot of Gen Zers don't have that at all. So it's a, it's a more secular uh, generation. Unfortunately, it's also true that a, a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of autonomy. K kids love the autonomy and feel a lot of self-efficacy, but not necessarily the life experience and the wisdom and the boundaries that keep them safe. And so there is a tremendous incidence 
of mental illness and depression, anxiety among young people. Uh, that and most of it untreated. So these are just some of the characteristics of the youngest, which are 24% of our population, a much larger piece of the pie than we might have thought. Uh, so while we think about just some of the ways that every generation is different, is growing up in different cultural circumstances, uh, here are some key trends that to me are, I would say, facts, not opinions. So we may argue about, you know, how much we are like this or like that, but here are some things that I think are unmistakable as general trends. One is that the use of technology is becoming more and more pervasive. It has been going on through out the lifetime of everyone in this room, in this sanctuary. Technology is being used more and more, is more a part. The average Gen Zer spends six to nine hours a day absorbing media in some way, that on an average. And I know I've had some pushback from some kids who said, no, that's not, well, just check your usage and see because a lot, a lot of kids, watch, they don't watch television, they watch media on their phone instead. So, uh, you know, that's, so technology is one factor. The second is, as I've mentioned, the diversity of this generation. And the third would be the, the loss of institutional religion as a factor in so many kids' lives. So those are really undeniable factors that are going on as generations move forward. Now, I was thinking about this, and, and I wanted to um, try to connect this to the New Testament. Now, that's something that Gen Zers would probably not be thrilled about. Uh, they're not all that terribly interested in religious tradition, but a part of what we do here is trying to, is to stay connected to the tradition. So in the New Testament, think about that, that body of work, written over a period of roughly several generations from, say, the, the year 50 A.D. to 100 A.D., and, and the experiences in the New Testament going back to, you know, 30 A.D., and, so, uh, or, and some earlier, so you really, what you have is a span of time that is roughly the same as the span of time as us here. Think about the oldest to the youngest. In that span of time, that is the New Testament span. And so much of the writing of the apostles had to do with how are we going to emerge from one generation to the next, after the founding generation or the greatest generation has died off, what happens next? Who will take over? Who will guide the church? Jesus, its founder, is gone. Now what? And so the community of Christians were trying to stay connected to Jesus, to their roots, to this initial generation 
while facing all kinds of growing diversity and cultural shifts. And so in John 14, Jesus assures the church by saying, I am not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to bring or send you a helper or an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, a friend, parakaleos, the spirit, the spirit of truth. In other words, Jesus with us, conserving the teachings from the original founder as well as teaching new truth to the church in the future, guiding the community of faith into new situations and giving power and courage to the church to take some risks and face the future. That's the Holy Spirit, Jesus with us, by our side, not alone. I fear that sometimes in the midst of all of the conversations that we have that we forget that we belong to that spirit and are energized and animated and led by that spirit. We are summoned to believe in and live a life shaped not by Jesus' absence, but by the strong presence of Christ in us and among us. This presence of Christ is not the possession of a few who wear robes, not even the possession of the church, for the Spirit blows beyond our walls. It is God's gift to us and also to others. And so the choir has the Spirit, and so does the nursery class. They are bearers of the Spirit. The officers, the session, the, the elders and deacons whom we will be uh, ordaining in a few weeks here, we believe have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ guiding them. And so do these people right up here on the front row, these Gen Zers. They do too. And so... The time to listen to the Spirit is now. And listening means listening to each other. So let me ask you, kids, can Generation Z be trusted to lead the church? Do you even want it? That's a real question that we ask because this stuff's important to us. We have a lot invested here. Can you be entrusted with it? And you may be asking, can you old people be entrusted with the future of this church? Good question. For there's a tremendous tendency to want to hunker down and just play defense and try to run out the clock. You know, age discrimination exists. I've experienced it. I've experienced it in this church. 
it runs both ways. Young people are looked down upon. I've given a, my, most of my life to working with people your age because I think you're so important. And I know a lot of people just look past you as if you don't, your opinions aren't very thoughtful or important. But it goes both ways. You also sometimes look at old people as if they're so outdated and out of touch that their wisdom, their life experience hardly matters. So whenever one generation cuts off from another, both lose. And the Spirit's voice is harder to hear. So if a church wants to be led by the Spirit, is trying to discern the guidance of God, is wanting to bear witness to Christ in the world, that community must listen and respect all voices and consider the needs of all people. In my experience, the Spirit of Christ doesn't play prevent defense, doesn't play it safe because the Spirit of Christ is in essence, love, the love of God in this world. And love always risks. Love always searches, like the shepherd who leaves the 99 in search of the one. Wasn't that a risk? The love of God always reaches and opens. And when Riverside has been at its best, it has always done this, hasn't it? It has built apartment houses for the elderly so they have a good place to live their last years. They have provided me countless meals for those who are homebound through Meals on Wheels. We have built a, the Brooklyn Ed Center and started a program like RBI, and Children's Enrichment Workshop that Jan told you about. In so many ways, this church has taken risks, has invested boldly, because the spirit of love has led us. And so now, it is soon going to be time for a new generation or two or three. Gen X, back there, you're going to have to move up. <laughs> the millennials, Gen Z, soon, it is going to be up to you. Very soon. And really, if we are wise, we will start listening now. We boomers and silent ones want to bless you. We want to be your guides, your sounding boards, those who love and bless you as you begin to take the reins of this place, as you take seriously what it means to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Just remember, we are not orphans. We go forward together 
with Christ in us, around us, and through us. Amen.